today on Ag News Daily. I'm a sixth generational Texan, uh, grew up agricultural, ranching, farming, all of it. You know, that's all we ever knew. Uh, the whole uh, century of the you know 1900s, that's what we did. And uh, when I was 19, uh, our small town was basically dead. And I moved my butt to Austin, Texas with about 125 bucks in my pocket. With the Farm Smart Podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. FarmSmart is where sustainability meets opportunity. We're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the FarmSmart podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at NutrientActSolutions.com slash FarmSmart. Happy Hump Day, September 20th, 2023. Today's episode is brought to you by the Farm Smart Podcast. Subscribe now at NutrientAgSolutions.com slash Farm Smart. I'm feeling pretty smart today, Delaney. You are. Tell me why. Well, it's actually really not any different than any other day. Uh, I just thought I would announce it today. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. That's very narcissistic of you. <laughs> I can tell you a little bit about the weather. We've still got flood warnings and watches in effect for counties in southwestern Missouri and northwestern Arkansas. Got up to four inches of rain that have fallen in parts of Missouri overnight due to strong thunderstorms. Rain is expected for most of Arkansas today and in tonight. We also had widespread severe weather that is uh, not expected to produce hail, but does carry that slight potential. Further north, we've got isolated thunderstorms in parts of Wisconsin as it pushes east. The rain that we had sweep through central Iowa yesterday. Delaney, I dumped 3.2 inches out of my rain gauge yesterday evening. So we had quite a bit there. Hurricane updates, since it's still hurricane season, category two, Hurricane Nigel with maximum sustained winds of 100 miles per hour, is moving north at 16 miles per hour. They don't expect the hurricane itself to reach landfall, but the swells generated by Nigel will affect Bermuda in the next couple of days and probably the southeastern coast uh, as we get a little bit further on into the week. But that's what we've got. There are a couple of other disturbances that the Hurricane Center will continue to watch in the eastern Atlantic, but uh, that's what I've got for weather today. Well, Tanner, as far as other news today, this is a story that's just starting to blossom that we really haven't reported on yet. But as of last Friday, the United Auto Workers staged simultaneous labor strikes at three major auto company facilities, Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler. This coordinated strike has not happened this industry-wide at any point that we've seen since the UAW has been formed. And it's the first time we've seen it happen at three big automakers at the same time. Now, these are not company-wide strikes, but as of yesterday, UAW is threatening that that may happen as the next steps. They are reportedly striking and fighting for larger pay increases, reportedly asking for 40% increases in pay, whereas the car makers have offered a 20% increase without some of the key benefits that have also been demanded by the UAW. The initial strike 
involves about 12,700 auto workers at plants in Wayne, Michigan, Wentzville, Missouri, and Toledo, Idaho. And the strike, as I mentioned there, asking for a 40 pay 40% pay increase could cost General Motors alone $100 billion if this gets passed. He said They said that that cost will also get passed down to the consumer via higher, higher vehicle costs. But the United Auto Workers is not giving up yet. And they have said, Tanner, that if a deal is not struck before Friday, they're going to try to expand the strike even larger. Again, it's not company-wide yet, but they said that is their plans. However, it's important to keep in mind that doing a company-wide strike would be very expensive for the United Auto Workers Union to try and coordinate, and so it's unlikely that we see them move to that as their next step, but it could certainly continue to expand if we don't see negotiations started by Friday. Yeah, I'm glad you gave us another update on that story. We still see a fierce competition unfolding in the American soybean market. Corteva, which we know is a spinoff of Dow DuPont, is continuing to gain industry shares. Farmers are weighing the flexibility of being able to spray and list and the versatile yield benefits that claims come out of the extend system. So for years, Bayer Delaney has held the dominant position thanks to their genetically engineered soybean seeds that are resistant to the herbicide Roundup. Uh, of course, Corteva has surged ahead in their biotech soybean category, claiming now nearly half of the U.S. market share, according to the Wall Street Journal. The, together, Bayer and Corteva now control approximately 70% of the corn and soybean seed market in the U.S. This is a significant increase from around 40% only a couple of decades ago. According to the USDA, both companies are vying for their share of billions of dollars, just like you alluded to in the automakers industry, that farmers spend on seed and chemical combinations to combat stubborn weeds and grow large yields. Bayer's Roundup Ready Extend crop system offers traits featuring tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. Corteva launched its Enlist E3 soybeans, which are centered around tolerance to 2,4-D uh, glyphosate and glufosinate. So uh, interesting to see as the market shifts, Corteva's Enlist soybeans have gained popularity and are looking to make up nearly 55% of the acres planted next year. On the other hand, we'll continue to watch to see if they start to see resistance to those chemical programs as well, but looking like a shift there in the soybean market. Well, Tanner, we're also seeing a little bit of a shift this morning in the stock markets. Yesterday, stocks declined, as well as the 10-year treasury saw it rise to its highest level since 2007, as investors are worried the central bank will keep rates higher for longer. The Federal Reserve is meeting this week and will wrap up two days of meetings today, and Tanner, it's likely expected to see once again interest rate hikes going to be announced later today. But ahead of that announcement, we saw U.S. stock futures rise this morning on Wednesday as Wall Street awaits the Federal Reserve's final policy decision today. Tanner, don't know if you have any additional insights being a banker yourself, but thought I'd ask you that too. No, I don't have necessarily anything additional. Uh, it's a pretty mixed camp as we sit here and wait for the time being. Okay, well... 
Sounds like a lot of folks are leaning towards an interest rate hike, but time will tell later today. It is fascinating the number of articles that have come out in the last three days about when rates will start to go back down. You know, you hadn't seen that for a long time. So that could be an indicator that we may be reaching the peak as some of those writers are speculating. <clears throat> we are getting a hit at another quick update on the CO2 pipeline. Summit permitting process is now going to reach uncharted waters in North Dakota. The North Dakota voted unanimously in August to deny Summit's permit of application for the pipeline. State laws allow for reconsiderations, and on Friday, the reconsideration was approved for further investigation with a split vote. But where the uncharted portion happens now, Delaney, is the court and previous case law don't have any parameters for this next public hearing and how they are to reconsider that pipeline permit denial. So we'll keep an eye on that one as things continue to come about. Also going to report quickly on the USDA's beef output forecast. They did reduce that. The U.S. beef production for 2023 is forecasted at 26.94 billion pounds, down about 40 million pounds from the August outlook. The basis on slower than expected pace of fed cattle slaughtering. The projected 2024 production was unchanged, left the same way from month to month at 25.2 billion pounds, so nearly a a billion and a half pounds less than the 23 production. Fed steer prices are projected to be steady. Pork production on the other side of the meats is now seen by the government at about 6.4 billion pounds in the third quarter of the year. If realized, that would be a 2% decrease from this time last year. Hog prices are projected to be a 7 to 10% drop year over year over the next 12 months. So that's what the USDA put out around the meats. Well, Tanner, the Department of Homeland Security recently unveiled a new proposed rule aimed at modernizing the H-2A visa program. This is a very ten ten contentious issue as we've seen lots of administrations try to unveil new proposals to modernize these visa programs. Some of the major changes include improvements to worker conditions and streamlining processes for employers. Some of the other key provisions within the proposal also encompass the introduction of whistleblower protections and the strengthening of penalties for employers charging prohibited fees to visa workers. Um, a particular concern, of course, has been H-2A visa workers who have faced documented risks of exploitation, trafficking, and abuse within the program, and this proposal seeks to address some of those issues potentially benefiting over 370,000 current H-2A visa workers and future applicants. There will likely be a landmine of issues moving forward, but that is the latest here from the Department of Homeland Security. We got an update from the Marines. They did find their missing F-35 jet that disappeared on Sunday. It's been found less than 100 miles north of Charleston in South Carolina, the wreckage of this jet having crashed. The pilot had to eject due to undisclosed circumstances in which the plane continued to fly in zombie mode. The announcement comes that the Marine Corps is taking over the investigation. It is announced that it will suspend the uh, flights for 
the same F-35s until they are understanding as to what happened to this plane. Also updates for my last headlines coming out of Russia. Traffic on the Kerch Bridge that links Crimea with Russia has been suspended as a smoke screen used for disrupting drone attacks had appeared, as well as live footage of drone attacks on vehicles driving across that bridge. A cargo ship in the Black Sea, Delaney, was hit a mine. Romanian authorities stated that 12 crew members were taken to a port near the Ukrainian border following the explosion, about 25 miles offshore. Romania's Sea Rescue Agency was on the case for that one. President Zelensky urged for a global front against Russia yesterday at the UN General Assembly. Moscow aim is to turn the lands and our people and our resources into a weapon against the rest of the world, so you must unite behind Ukraine. Lastly, Ukraine special services were likely behind the strikes on the Wagner-backed forces in Sudan. The Ukraine military is continuing to state that their counteroffensive is pushing forward. But that's what I've got for news today. Well, Tanner, I think the only thing I have left to chat about is markets. So what do you say? Go for it. Well, Tanner, as we take a look at the overnight markets, we're certainly seeing a little bit more strength after yesterday's sell-off. December corn up a penny and a half at 477 and three quarters. New crop soybeans will open at a 1317 up a penny and a half as well. Hard red December winter wheat up five and three quarters at 736 and three quarters. Chicago December wheat up seven and a quarter at 591 and a quarter. And December spring wheat up five and a half cents at 785 and a quarter. A quick reminder, Tanner, at where the livestock markets closed yesterday, October live cattle shed 65 cents to close at a buck 85, 67 and a half. October feeder cattle shed $1.60 to close at $2.59.35. And October lean hogs added $1.60, rounding out the day at $84.85. Tanner, we are turning it over to a conversation today with Texas Slim to talk about the beef supply chain. So let's uh, kick it over to that conversation. Well, it's always fun to share people that are passionate about what they do with our listeners. So hopefully they enjoyed that as much as we did. Don't forget to subscribe to the Farm Smart Podcast on your favorite streaming platform. Go to NutrienAgSolutions.com slash Farm Smart. Delaney, we got a couple days left this week of some good Ag News daily content. Listeners can always follow us online as well. But for today, what do you say? Should we let them go? Let's let them go. With the Farm Smart Podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. Farm Smart is where sustainability meets opportunity. We're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the Farm Smart Podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at nutrientagsolutions.com slash farmsmart. Listeners, we're happy to introduce you to a very strong voice for the world of agriculture. I got Texas Slim here, founder of the Beef Initiative, joining us today. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Good morning to you straight out of uh, the dirt roads of West Texas. So uh, it's fall time and it's, uh, it's beautiful. I'm sitting outside and there's a uh, beautiful sunshine. So happy That's- day to you. 
That's great. Yes. Thanks again. Uh, why don't we start off, give a little bit about uh, who you are and what you've got going on down there in West Texas. You bet. Uh, as I say, I come from uh, the panhandle of Texas up here in, you know, the Llano West Dakota, the desert high plains. And so I'm a sixth generational Texan, uh, grew up agricultural, ranching, farming, all of it. You know, that's all we ever knew. Uh, the whole uh, century of the you know 1900s, that's what we did. And uh, when I was 19, uh, our small town was basically dead. And I moved my butt to Austin, Texas with about 125 bucks in my pocket. And long story short, I taught myself technology. I've never gone to university, uh, but I'm um, a research analyst. Plus, in my veins is pumping agriculture in the United States of America. I'm a generational X guy, so I see a lot of things, and I've seen a lot of things that happen in agriculture through the last 50 to 60 years. And uh, what I noticed about three to four years ago is that we have some major issues coming down. It's a, it's a global push. Uh, the, the days that we've known as far as market access to pure, basically animal protein and pure food are changing. And uh, our health as a nation describes that every day. And uh, what I decided to do was create some solutions. And I really lended into and borrowed from everything of the wisdom of my elders doctrine of my family, of my grandfather, and I created the beef initiative so we can start saving some lives here. We can start giving the great American rancher a voice again that he lost whenever uh, basically he was taken out of our communities. Well, I'm excited to dig more into that beef initiative and some of the solutions you've come up with. But before we get to that, I also wanted to ask, because I'm sure our listeners are curious, we introduced you at the beginning here as Texas Slim, and that's the name that you use externally. How'd you come up with that? As far as Texas Slim, that's uh, definitely a family name, uh, something that I've lived with, you know, my whole life ever since I was about four or five. And uh, I was I was actually people had to talk me into using it. And with what I do and who I go up against, it's probably pretty smart to say somewhat anonymous. And it's not because of me. It's really for my family, my family's name, uh, where I come from, you know, I'm in the belly of the beast of the multinational corporations here in West Texas. And so it, it's just a smart move. It's a, it's a good brand. And I look at it as, you know, giving a cattleman a brand is something that we're going to bring back. So my brand is Texas Slam. That's cool. So let's now dive into the beef initiative on the website here. It says that the group's focused on making food more localized, redundant, and secure. What have you noticed since starting this as far as impact goes? Well, one thing it is, it's a lot of awareness, correct? It, you know, we don't really understand where food comes from anymore. And it's very daunting. Uh, as I said, I'm a research analyst. I'm able to have access to a lot of information the general public does not have access or skill sets to find. Whenever you look of where we've come through in my lifetime that I referred to before is as far as awareness, you know, I live in Texas. Texas has 254 counties. We used to have 254 microprocessing centers. Well, now in the United States, we have four multinational corporations that control 85% of that processing. Something has happened, and I don't think the general public's very aware of it. 
and the consequence thereof. And so establishing the beef initiative, you know, what we need to understand is that our community, small town America, small town Texas has been devastated. I've driven 150,000 miles across this nation in the last 24 months. And what I have discovered and I can prove is that America is now a food desert. And the reason that is, is we've taken these processing centers out of our small communities. We quit feeding our communities first. And as Eric Butt said in 1973, we're going to go feed the world. Well, we never fed the world and we're not feeding our communities anymore with that food that we used to basically sustain our health, our basically e-commerce systems. All of that has changed in a very short period of time. So you're really hoping to acknowledge and address some of those food insecure issues we have by also shipping and sharing the beef uh, with people who are wanting to buy beef from Texas Slim. So how did you decide to venture into the meat market as well? Well, that's that's where I come from. I'm a cattleman. I grew up agriculture and ranching. Uh, but one thing that I, I was never and this is not a, a competition one thing that we see in uh, ranching right now is that once we started commoditizing and subsidizing our basically animal proteins, it created a lot of competition between the ranchers and producers themselves. And so looking at the beef initiative, this is a collaboration. Whenever I stepped in and, and basically you know, created the beef initiative, my intentions were to get back into that type of collaboration between ranchers. So I went and shook a rancher's hand and I said, would you tell me what you do and why you do it? And I basically let him know my roadmap, my vision, and he said, let's do this. One handshake led into another handshake, led into another handshake. And we built the index, a searchable index across this nation to where now we have over 183, 180 producers that have come in voluntarily. I haven't marketed to them. We, it's not a sales pitch. We're not a marketing plan. This is a collaboration to give market access for consumers that are looking to start basically getting their animal protein how we used to do it in this nation. And, and by offering beef, what we do is we, we can ship. We've been shipping uh, nationally for two years now. We've sold uh, close to probably $2 million worth of beef through uh, the same business model as ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a big corporation. But one thing that they don't do is let you know where that beef comes from. We let you know the rancher of origin and the ranchers love this. They want to be able to have that consumer demand pointed straight at them. So not only do we ship beef across the United States through Texas Sun's Cuts, through KNC Cattle, through Holy Cow Beef, we've got many more producers coming in that we're not gonna tell them their business model. If they wanna sell locally, they can sell locally. If they wanna ship nationally, well, we've got the business model, we've got the processing centers, we've got the distribution. This is something that was not possible before COVID. It was very difficult, but what we've done is created a vertical integration from soil to fork that we are in control of now and we don't have to ask for permission. Like I said, we have uh, processing centers, we have USDA and we have state certified processing centers. That was the bottleneck to be able to do this. And now we can let you know exactly where your beef comes from, 
what's in that beef and basically how it was raised, how it was stewarded, who the rancher is. And this is what the consumers are now looking for. They're tired of the deceptions. They're tired of the lies and they're tired of not knowing where their beef comes from. Whenever you have a conversation with the general public now, most people do not realize that we're eating probably at least 50% of our beef is coming from overseas and the USDA is not going to tell us that. They're not going to tell us the country of origin and they're not going to be able to say rancher of origin. Yeah, that's a very differentiating position to be in. Tell us a little bit about the boxes that you offer. It's a variety of cuts. What I want to do, my intentions, the why of the beef initiative, and I, I always proudly state this, is I'm out here to save children's lives. And so what we do whenever we sell beef, the first thing you usually hear is it's too expensive. And that's just, it's, I think that's uh, a mindset that we've been conditioned to think it's not too expensive. What's too expensive is the way we're living. What's too expensive is what's in your pantry. So what we like to do with the boxes is give an entry point. I'm trying to feed uh, families. I'm trying to feed that mother, that single mother that has three children and she doesn't have market access to good food. So we have different boxes. We have different demographics that we serve. So you can go all the way into a entry level box that maybe you don't even understand the cuts of the cow because that's been taken out of our mindset as well. We don't have market access to understanding the variety of cuts. So we bring every cut of the cow because we have control through the processing center. We uh, bring, you know, everything from a tomahawk ribeye to, uh, you know, nothing more than a burger box. So whatever the consumers are wanting, we're able to give to you. And it's not based on, you know, inventory controls through the multinational corporations that use certain trim cuts and other cuts for dog food and other type of byproduct, you know, that they're making millions and millions of dollars off of. So we give an entry point of offerings that cover the gamut. So anybody that you just go to, you know, beefinitiative.com, go into Texas Slim's Cuts, and we're actually now going to increase our product design to where we can have a lot more variety. We will start including hog. We'll start including po poultry as well. Well, that sounds really exciting for some areas of expansion. But as you look at the future of the protein and, and definitely the beef industry, we're seeing a lot of consolidation. I'm sure yes. that's one you're focused on as well. What are you doing to help maybe prevent some of that and, and keep the power still within the local farmer or rancher who's producing the product? Well, one thing that, I, once again, the general public, and we're kept in the dark on that consolidation that you speak of. The poultry industry and the hog industry were consolidated and centralized in a way that the general public doesn't understand. Well, this is now being attempted on the global well, United States, really. The United States cattle industry is now, uh, there's a consolidation and centralization coming. And if people don't start paying attention, then we're going to lose our cattle industry as we know it. We create the best beef in the world, but most of that beef is now being sold on the global market to the highest bidders, and we're not being given market access. Uh, I call, I come from commodity cowboy country. And once again, this is not a competition, but we're talking to everybody from regenerative to commodity that you now can go basically from soil to fork to those consumers 
that want to have a relationship with you, that they want to feed their family. And I think the nation needs to wake up because we're going through a global industrial food shift right now. Happened in the 70s. And uh, I think if anybody pays attention to what's going on within the food uh, industry on a global macro, it be it a producer or a consumer, uh, I think a lot of people are going to be shocked how much groundwork they've already done. We're probably about five or six years behind understanding what's coming our way. I've been around the world. I've gone around the world several times. I see what's going on in Asia. I see what's going on in Australia and it's coming this way and it's going to be a big shock to a lot of people. So I want the producers out there to know this is not a competition. We're not saying anybody's done anything wrong, but if you're not prepared for this global industrial food shift, uh, you're going to be basically part of a consolidation and centralization that's going to give us less market access to the quality proteins that we've had in the past. Well, Texas Slim, we appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll encourage our listeners to go to the beefinitiative.com to look up what you've got going on. Again, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate you reaching out and, you, you know, the beefinitiative.com get signed up. We have uh, five newsletters. We have newsletters for ranchers. We have lifestyle management. We have educational. Uh, we're talking about our work within the processing centers themselves. We're building out processing centers, micro processing centers. So there's a lot to learn in there. So just get signed up and uh, we'll shoot you some good emails with really good educational content. And I really do appreciate you guys reaching out. Well, it's always fun to share people that are passionate about what they do with our listeners. So hopefully they enjoyed that as much as we did. Don't forget to subscribe to the Farm Smart Podcast on your favorite streaming platform. Go to nutrientagsolutions.com slash farm smart. Delane, we got a couple days left this week of some good Ag News daily content. Listeners can always follow us online as well. But for today, what do you say? Should we let them go? Let's let them go.